This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. We'll take your Bibles, if you would, this morning and turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. It is such a joy to be able to celebrate the resurrected Christ with you this morning. Thank you for being here. I really am excited about the word God has for us today. A few weeks ago, just out of the blue, uh, I felt just led to, to preach this text. It's nothing I've preached before, but I feel like it's right for the moment. And I trust that God's going to use it in a special way today. I remember my first Easter as a, as a pastor, I was getting ready for the big day. I was worried. I was anxious. I was a little bit nervous. I wasn't sure exactly what I was going to preach. I felt a ton of pressure for that first big Easter Sunday as a pastor. And I was just struggling. I was wrestling with it all week. And I finally thought, I'm going to call my father-in-law who's a pastor and try to get some encouragement. So I called him and I said, Dad, listen, I, I'm, I'm worked up. I'm just stressed. I'm worried. I don't know what I'm going to preach. And I don't feel like I got a sermon uh, for Sunday. And there's going to be so many people there. What do I do? And I'll never forget what he told me. I called him this week and said, this is what I remember you saying. Is that true? He goes, oh, that's exactly what I said. I remember what I said to you. Here's what he said. He said, Josh, if you can't get excited about preaching on Easter, you're in the wrong business. Not exactly the encouragement I was looking for, but, but he's right. He's right. This is, this, is the day, this is Super Bowl Sunday at church. We worked the whole year for this. I mean, this is it. This is the big day. Man, it's an exciting day, and we celebrate the resurrected Lord. I mean, everything we do revolves around what happens here today. You know, the reality is, is we wouldn't even be a people if it wasn't for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We'd have nothing to celebrate if it wasn't for the resurrection of Jesus. As Paul said, if Christ be not risen, everything we do is in vain. If Christ isn't risen, we should go home today and never come back because there is no need to do this if Christ is not a resurrected Lord. But he is. And the whole gospel we preach, the whole good news we give revolves around the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our message as a people is that we are a sinful people separated from God and separated from the life of God that he created us to experience. And because of our separation from God, we're a broken people. Inside and outside, everything in our life is broken. And so in attempts to fix our brokenness and to fill our emptiness, we add all kinds of other things that make us more broken, not less broken. And so the reality is we're just kind of spiraling in more and more brokenness in God who loves us and created us for so much more, who created us for real and abundant life now and for all of eternity, sent his son, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life and he died a criminal's death, not for his sin, but for ours. And upon the cross, Jesus took upon himself all of the sin that we have ever committed and all the punishment for our sin, including death and hell and the very wrath of God. And he absorbed it all on the cross. And then in the resurrection, he not only took all of our sins, but he made it possible not only for us to have our sins forgiven, 
and eternity with him, but he rose so that we might know the very resurrection life of Jesus Christ personally and daily. It's why we sang our only hope in life and death is Christ alone, Christ alone. Our only hope in death is Jesus. Our only hope in life in Jesus. He is not just good news for later. He's good news for today, all because he is a risen savior. I still feel a little pressure on Easter, I'll be honest. I mean, this is a big day, right? I mean, I, I gotta bring my A game today. Like I can't just, you know, I have all days. I, I got, you expect my A game today. And, and the truth is, I know that, that if I bring my A game, some of you may come back next week. So I'm feeling a little bit of that pressure, right? I, I do get, I get scared about Easter. It's not because of the people and it's not because of the pressure. Like I'm not, I'm not scared that in some way I've got to impress you. I'm not worried about that. And, and, I, and I'm joking about you coming back. But listen, that, that's up to the Lord. I don't feel any of that pressure. But let me tell you what worries me about Easter. Sometimes I get worried that in our attempts to give you our best, we might actually give us our worst. What if in our attempt to give you our best, we might give you our worst? You see, what if you walk in here on this day in which we give you our best music and Lord willing, our best preaching and our best greeting and our best clothes and everybody looks better than normal. And, and what if in our attempt to give you all of that, you might walk in here and just kind of get the idea that we've got it all together. That we're a put together people. We're just the church of the all togethers. Well, that'd be a, that'd be a tragedy. I think what makes me nervous is this little story that Jesus tells in Luke 18. Jesus tells a story about a religious man and a tax collector who both go to the church and pray. And he gives us these two men as the exact opposites. So here's the man who knows what to wear when he goes to church. He knows the words to say. He knows the rituals. He knows where to stand. He's done this. He's got it figured out. He is a religious man. And this man over here is despised. And he does not fit at the church. And he does not feel welcome at the church. And he knows that he doesn't deserve to be there. And he's hated by everyone else. He's not a respected man. And both of them come to pray. Jesus says the religious man goes and he stands up in the temple and he prays proudly, Father, I'm so glad I'm not like the rest of these people, a sinner, an adulterer, and I'm so glad I'm not like that tax collector. Says the tax collector walks into the temple and he can't even look up. He's so ashamed. He's got so much guilt. He knows that he's done wrong. He knows that he doesn't really have any right to be in that place. And so he walks in with his head down and the only thing he can say is, Father, be merciful to me, a sinner. He doesn't know the right words to say. He doesn't know where to stand. He doesn't have the right clothes for the day. He can just say that one prayer. And in the most surprising way, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says this, the sinner left church that day right with God while the religious man didn't. Well, you think, well, how, how does that work? That guy's got it all together. He, he is the all togethers and everything seems to be right. But in the midst of having the appearance that everything is right, his heart was not right with God. And it was this man, the most unlikely, who didn't know anything about church, who left right with God. So listen to this. The truth is the church is at its absolute best 
when it's a gathering of desperate, needy sinners. And the church is at its absolute worst when it appears like a gathering of the put-together religious. That's exactly why I've chosen this text for today from Matthew 11. Because I want to remind us this morning that no matter how good we look, the reality is we are all desperately needy people. And that's great news. Because God has an incredible invitation to give to you this morning if and only if you know that you need him. Now the text begins a little odd, I'll be honest with you. It begins in verse 25 of Matthew 11. It's strange because Jesus is talking to his disciples and then he's talking to the crowd and he's just having these conversations and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, without saying anything, he just starts praying. He doesn't say, hey, should we pray about this? Or, or hey, do you mind if I stop and pray? Or he doesn't even say, let's pray. He just starts praying in normal conversation. Now, I worked with a guy one time who did this, my first church, a guy named Don Dudgeon, a precious saint of God. And Don would just start praying out of nowhere. He had, he had missed all of the prayer, prayer uh, etiquette where you have to at least have some transition moment. Do you mind if we pray? So Don would say, hey, Josh, what do you got this week? And I'd say, well, I've got a big event this weekend. I'm speaking four or five times to a group of students. He'd say, well, man, that's great. I'm so glad you got asked to do that. What an honor that is. And may just the blessing of the Lord be upon you. And God, we pray the anointing of the Holy Spirit on Josh and give him the words. And his eyes are still open and my eyes are open. I didn't know if we're praying or not. <laughs> he just went for it. Like no warning, no nothing. And I, it's really honestly, like I look back and I think Don had prayer figured out, but that was weird and awkward. Like nobody knew what to do. And Jesus just, just does that right here. He's just talking to everybody. And then he just says, well, Father, and, and look at the prayer he prays. It's important. It says, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Now, it's interesting, Jesus had been talking about the kingdom, about those who received the kingdom and those who missed the kingdom and how he had gone to certain cities and they had rejected him. And, and then he begins to thank the Lord that God in his sovereignty has hidden the simplicity of the gospel from certain people, but revealed it to other people. And what he's saying here is that the wise and the understanding, the learned, the, the have-it-all-togethers, the know-it-alls, the people who might appear the most put together, the gospel is hidden from them. But yet the little children, not just a reference to children, but, but the needy and the vulnerable and the helpless, those are the ones who get the message of the gospel. And it's almost like the message of the gospel is so simple the most learned have a hard time receiving it and believing it. It is almost as if the Lord is saying here that those who think they know it all often end up missing it all. You say, well, why is that the case? Well, it's simple. Because God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. So the proud who think they've got it all together and the proud who think they know it all and the proud who think they have the information they're opposed by God, and so God hides the truth of the gospel from them. But those who are confident they do not know it all and do not have it figured out and are desperate for something and are missing something and are empty and in need of something, those are the ones most likely to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And all of a sudden we start to understand something that's very important for the invitation we're about to receive. We start to understand that those who see their need the most are the most able to get what they need the most. Those who see their need the most, those who are the most aware of their neediness for something are the ones who are the most able to get what they need the most, which is Jesus Christ. And it is the simplicity of the offer and the simplicity of the gospel which causes so many people to walk away and look for something more complicated and to miss the simple relationship with Jesus Christ that alone can give you the life and rest that you're longing for. So with that in mind, Jesus says in verse 27, he has now transitioned out of prayer without letting us know. All things have been handed over to me by my father. And no one knows the son except the father and no one knows the father except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. In other words, you gotta have me if, if you wanna know the father. Like everything revolves around me, I'm the answer and, and you can only have me, he says right here, if I choose to reveal myself to you. But then he gives an invitation in which he invites everyone who hears him to come to him. Look at the invitation he gives here, verse 28. So come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, this is the only invitation to a certain group of people. It is only invitation to those who are needy. And so if you feel your need, this is a good news today because there's an invitation for you. If you don't have any needs, well, you just gotta hold on for about 15 minutes and we'll be done. But to all of you who might feel needy, Jesus is inviting you to something that will meet the needs. Specifically, he says, come to me, all of you, you see this, who labor and are heavy laden. That word labor means to be tired, to be weary, to be burned out, to be stressed out, to be anxious, to be worried. It's really talking about the weight that often rests upon our soul. Not even because of external circumstances, although that's true, but even the internal circumstances. It is the shame and the guilt and the sense of inadequacy and the thought that I'm never gonna be enough and that I'm never gonna figure all this out, all of that combined with all of the ordinary weight of life, because life is difficult and life is hard, that's the labor he's talking about. But then he says, also those of you who are heavy laden, that is a phrase that means to be weighed down. Heavy laden it refers to the amount of cargo that's placed up on a ship. So they'll take this very heavy cargo and they'll take it and lay it up on a ship. And when they do that, the ship is then referred to as being heavy laden. It's laid down and weighed down with this cargo. And Jesus says, I'm talking to those whose soul feels that way. I'm talking to those who feel as if their soul is weighed down, as if there is a heaviness about their soul that we often can ignore and we often can act like doesn't exist or we can often try to fix with a thousand other things. But if we are honest with ourselves, there is a heaviness in our soul because life is heavy and, and life is hard and we carry a lot of insecurity and sense of insignificance and guilt and shame about the past. And the result is all of that just begins to weigh 
on our soul. I've got uh, five children and, and uh, our family likes to take road trips. Actually, that's, I can't lie on Easter. We take road trips. <laughs> we like it okay. We do all right. But, uh, we do two, two trips every year. One is 11 hours and one is like nine and a half hours with only a few bathroom and food stops. So uh, these are long trips and we, we, we do a good job. We, we, we are road warriors and we go and, and, and make it happen. We, we enjoy a good road trip. But, you know, one of the things that drives me crazy uh, on a road trip is the way stations. Now, you would think with our family, we would take a semi-truck, but we're not. I do feel bad for the trucks that have to stop, but what drives me crazy at the way station is the fake way station police cars that are always there at the end. You know what I'm talking about? They get you every single time, and no one, no one is even in them. Now, I'm a pastor, so I don't speed, so I'm not saying it because of that. I'm just saying... Man, you're just, you're just barreling down the road and all of a sudden you slam on the brakes because here's a bunch of, and, and they're, they're way station police cars. I was thinking about that this week and, and I've never really understood a way station. So I called a buddy of mine in our church and he drives a, a truck and I said, why, why do they have way stations all throughout the road? And he says, well, because a truck like this is really made to hold 80,000 pounds of cargo, 80,000 pounds. If it holds more than that, it's dangerous. It's not safe for the driver, it's not safe for the roads, and it's really not safe for the other people around the truck when a truck is carrying too much weight. And so they force them to go into a way station to make sure for safety purposes that the truck is not too weighed down. I begin to think, what if we created a way to have a way station for the soul? Something that the scales couldn't quite capture. And you got on it, and the reading on it was not your body weight. It was actually the weight of your soul. So it weighed maybe all of those things that you have deeply buried, the guilt and the shame and the anger and the resentment and the bitterness and the relationships that are not doing well and all of the hurt and all of the pain and just all of the difficulty of life, and it just showed you the weight of your soul. I think we'd be surprised. As a matter of fact, I'm going to try to figure this out. You know how a lot of churches on Easter will have like a photo booth, so because you look so good today, you can go and get your picture made together and post it on social media? So I'm going to try to figure this out. Next year, we're going to to have a way station here at Prince. I think it'll be big. We're going to promote it real big. I think everybody would love that. And, And you walk in and you get greeted and we say, well, next, could you step on the scales? We'd really appreciate that. I can't think of any problem with that. But it's just... It would show something that the scales could never show. The weight of your soul. This is exactly what Jesus is talking about here because he knows the souls of mankind and he knows that the soul carries an amazing amount of debilitating weight. And so to those people, he gives an invitation to come to him. But he's really being specific because when you take those two words together, the idea of labor and laden, He's really referring to this kind of person. It's a person who's exhausted from life. (laughs) They're weary, they're worn out. Relationships are beating them down. Work is beating them down. And then there's all the spiritual and emotional stuff. But here's the thing. The heavy laden comes in because the people who are already tired and exhausted and burned out on life in their attempt to try to find solutions to relieve the pressure and the heaviness have ended up adding more weight. That's what he's talking about. The people who have attempted to remove the weight by their attempts to try to figure this out with all of their steps and programs and processes have ended up adding more weight. Now, I love that because that makes perfect sense to me. 
when we first started having kids, I had, I had two brothers, Andrea had three brothers, and we started having all these girls. We had one, and then two, and then three, and then four girls. I had no idea what to do with these girls, but I really wanted to do it well. I love being a dad to these girls, and I know the importance of the relationship with their father to this, and so I just decided I was gonna figure this out, and I started buying books. So I'd buy a book, and I'd, I'd read a book on how to raise a daughter, and I'd underlined it. I'd give it to my assistant, and she would take the underlines and put it in a document. And then I would order another book, and I would read it, and then I'd order another book. But I wasn't finished with this one, so that one would sit there. Then I'd order another one, and then two would sit there. And then I'd order another one, but I'm done with this one, so i take that one, and now two are only sitting there. But then i order two more, and now four are sitting there. And all of a sudden, the books begin to pile up. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? They just pile up. But what I realized was this. That in my desire to do this well, and I think a good and godly desire to figure this out and to learn as much as I could, what I realized is with every single book, I was just adding more low-level guilt to my life. The stack of books made me feel guilty because I was never going to get to them. And then every single book I read told me something else to do and another secret to parenting and another one thing you better do if you don't want to screw up your kids for the rest of your life. And, And I couldn't handle it. There was too much. What I realized in the midst of all of my searching of how to do something, I had missed the simplicity of an invitation to Jesus. This happens in our life all the time. I mean, this is what social media does to us. We, we, we need a break, like we're tired and we're weary. So in our attempt to just kind of take a break and be mindless for a minute, we open up social media and you know what it does? It tells you another thing you're doing wrong with the life or another person that you compare yourself to, or another diet, or another exercise plan, or another machine, or some other trick or life hack that you need, and the result is, is more low-level guilt that we just kind of live with all of the time. It's happened in my spiritual life so many times. When I first came to know the Lord, really eager and wanted to do well, a junior in high school, I I went to my mom's bookshelf, and same thing, I'm realizing now I may have a problem, and I just grabbed books, And I wanted to read, I wanted to read, and I wanted to get everything I could. And listen, do you realize that even in that moment, in a desire to find the secret, I miss Jesus. The simplicity of just daily, consistent time with Jesus. And so what Jesus is saying is, I know your soul is heavy, and I know the burdens, because I know life. And I know what the heaviness of your soul is more than you do. And so I'm inviting you, listen, not to a new program. I'm not inviting you to five more steps. I'm not inviting you into some system. I want to invite you to myself. You see, the invitation is in three words. Do you see it right there? Come to me. That's that's the invitation. He says, I want you to come to me. You see, what I'm concerned about is I think that a lot of the reasons that people grow up in church and then don't come back to church later in life is because what they realize is that every time they went to church, it added more weight. They just kind of felt guilty again. And if they can ignore that, if they cannot come to church, they won't just have one more thing they're not doing well. And I think what happens is the sinner goes into church, he sees the religious man, and here's what the sinner thinks. God, I wish I was like that guy. He's got it all together. He knows it all. He knows the lingos. He knows the song. He knows when to raise his hand and put it down. He knows when to clap and not. He knows all of those things. And what Jesus is saying is, no, you're closer than he is. (laughs) You're closer than he is. Because your neediness is the thing that is needed most in order to receive the invitation that Jesus offers. 
So what he's saying here is if you feel that way, if you feel that way about religion, if you feel that way with your relationship with Jesus, well then come to me. No more formulas, no more rituals or rules or books or programs, just me. And I gotta say as a pastor, just in my flesh, I wish right here I could give you three steps. I love steps. I love processes. I wish I could say, listen, as you leave today, I'm gonna give you this little form and it's a checklist. And if you'll check that off all the time, then then you're gonna be right with God. But isn't it interesting that Jesus doesn't do that here? He says, listen, I know you're obsessed with the life hacks. I know you're obsessed with the checklist, but you need me. A daily intimate relationship with a person named Jesus Christ. He says, come to me. And then he says this, I'll give you rest. And then he says again, you'll have rest for your souls. I think part of it is a physical rest. And and the reason I believe that is because the weight of our soul causes all kinds of physical problems. You know that, right? You know that a heavy soul has all kinds of physical issues. And so I do think there is a rest for our bodies in this, but I think even more than that, there is a rest in our soul that affects every area of our life. And Jesus says, if you will come to me, I will remove the burden and give you rest. Can you even imagine how lighter you would feel if that weight was removed? But again, I I don't want the solution to the problem to be more religion, religious uh, gibberish. I mean, what, come to me, what, if, what does that mean? Well, I think he defines it in three more words. He says in verse 29, take my yoke. He said, what does it mean to come to Jesus? Well, take my yoke is the answer. Now, you, I think you know what a yoke is. It's this, this large crossbar. It's kind of usually flat in the middle and it goes out like this and it's attached to the end of farming equipment. So imagine a big plow And on that was chained to this yoke and this yoke would then go around two animals and then it would be strapped to the animals so they couldn't get free. And those two animals together would pull the farming instrument uh, to plow or whatever else was needed. Now, there is some irony in this statement by Jesus because a yoke is heavy. Listen to this, a yoke is confining. A yoke is controlling. Once you get in the yoke, you can't get out of the yoke. That's the purpose of it. You have to strap someone to the yoke. The, person, the, uh, the animal has to be strapped to the other animal and it has to be strapped to that which is doing the work. Everything about a yoke says that it's heavy and confining and controlling. Listen, maybe that's the point. Maybe the point is, is that the rest is found in your closeness to Jesus Christ, in your willingness to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, in your willingness to say, I can't do it any longer. I don't have the strength for this any longer. And so I willingly submit myself to you, Jesus. I wanna be with you. I wanna be tied to you. I wanna be committed to you. And then as we do that and we begin to learn from him and walk with him on a daily basis, being yoked with him, walking together with Jesus, what happens is we realize after learning from him that some of the weight has been lifted. And our first thought is gonna be, that's because Jesus and I are working together to relieve the weight. And then we realize, no, that's not how it's working at all. Jesus is doing all the heavy lifting. You're just yoked to him. So the invitation is, is be yoked with me, is stay close to me, is stop trying to do this alone, but trust and follow me every single day. No more programs, no more tricks, just closeness to Jesus. I love the way the Message Bible translates this. Listen to this. It says, 
Are you tired and worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Well, come to me and get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Listen to me, that's authentic Christianity. Authentic Christianity is not that I took a bunch of facts and I put them in my pocket so that I can secure my eternal life. Authentic Christianity is accepting the invitation to walk with Jesus Christ. It's about a person. And listen, do you need to go to church? Yes, you can't forsake the assembling of the brethren. Do you need to read your Bible? Yes. But why do you do those things? Not because in doing those things, you think that you're gonna make God happy then those things become a burden to you. Listen, you know why you do those things? Because in coming to church and in reading your Bible, you're availing yourself to the means by which you get close to Jesus. And so think about it. Here's this book, it's on the table. You don't read it, but it's there. And every time you see it, you feel more guilty because you know you're supposed to read it, right? Because you've been told to read this. And maybe you started a program at the beginning of the year and you made it like, like to Leviticus and you're shot. And you can't make, so, so you're behind on that. And, and, and sometimes this makes you feel guilty. But you see, that's not from the Lord because the reality is it is through this that we come to know Jesus. This isn't the answer. Jesus is the answer. But by, the, by coming together in a moment like this, by opening this word, we then come to get close to Jesus. And in staying close to Jesus, listen, moment by moment, day by day, yoking ourselves with him, we start to learn from him. We start to learn the rhythms of grace. And we start to come to know what it's like to have the heaviness of our souls removed by Jesus Christ. Now, for some of you, what sounds crazy about that is the fact that it's just really difficult for you to think of Jesus as restful. He's been a burden to you your entire life. So that's why he says this, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Listen, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. We need that phrase. We need that so badly because what he's saying is I'm not harsh and I'm not angry and I'm not impatient. I'm not exasperated, I'm not irritated, I'm not frustrated with you, I'm not pointing a finger at you, I don't exist to show you every time you do something wrong to make you feel more guilty. What he says is, no, you've missed my heart. I'm humble, and I'm kind, and I'm tender, and I'm approachable. Man, I have to believe if we would have been there when Jesus said these words, if we would have seen his eyes, and we would have seen his gestures, and if we would have heard the tenderness of his voice, we would have heard in his voice and seen in his eyes something that made us long to come to him because we would believe that he is in fact restful. And he did not come to bring down the hammer. He came to give you life. He's not harsh. He's kind and gentle and approachable. My wife and I both grew up in Atlanta and we were so thankful to get an opportunity to come back here. I love, I love that I get to have family in Atlanta, but I pray to God I don't ever have to live there again. Man, I love it here. I love life here. This is a great place to live. I, I wanna live here the rest of my life. I just, one day when I'm old, I'm just gonna die right here and you just throw me out back and just bury me right there. I, lo I love living here. I tell you something, this is a strange town. Let me tell you why. It is filled with people 
who have everything and at the same time have nothing. It is filled with people who are rich, but incredibly poor. It is filled with people who appear to have everything together, but internally are absolutely falling apart. And you know how I know? Because I talk to them. I don't know why I'm still surprised when the most put together are the most broken. But the truth is that's all of us. And that's why this is such a great invitation for this morning and a great invitation for this community because the answer for them and the answer for us is always Jesus Christ. And the simplicity of that makes us grab a thousand other things. Well, maybe this will help. Maybe this will help. No, 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 no. It is an invitation to Jesus. Come to me, Jesus says. And there has to be a moment, a moment in which I say, Lord, I'm ready. I, I'm going to yoke myself to you. I surrender to you. I want, I want you to be the Lord of my life. And we do that. Listen, but then it's a daily process of learning from Jesus. Is knowing Jesus and walking with Jesus. And I'm afraid that some of you might be exhausted with Jesus because you came to church, but you've never come to Jesus. Because if you find this thing exhausting, somewhere in the process, you missed Jesus. So here's what scares me. I get scared that, that the gospel you might have heard was something like this. Jesus died and buried and rose so that he could take away your sins and deliver you from death someday. That's true, but it's not the whole gospel. Because the whole gospel is Jesus died and buried and rose. So they give you life today. Because if you think about it the first way, you know what you're going to do? You're going to grab a couple of facts about Jesus. You're going to stick them in your pocket. And you're going to think, I'm going to need those someday when I die. So I'm going to keep them right here. And you'll say, I'm good with the man upstairs. I'm all good. But you don't know what it's like to walk with Jesus. What Jesus is saying is true Christianity is knowing that he rose from the dead, that today you might know what life is like with him. And the invitation is simply this, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and you will find rest for your souls. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.